Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure back to welcome Dane from Modla. Welcome back, Dane. Thanks for having me, James. So it's been a while since we chatted. We talked in the past about modeling assets in fa- or factors that influence assets, those types of things. I wanted to bring you back and talk about you know optimizing strategies and you know how do we determine cost versus benefit of inspections, all those wonderful things. But before we get into that, can you give us some background on yourself, Modla, and so on and so forth? So, um, yeah, th- thanks for the intro. Um, my name is Dane Bors. I'm the founder and lead engineer of Modla, and we're a uh, asset knowledge capturing platform and analytics platform. Um, and our vision is to create a a way for industry to capture their subject matter expertise and knowledge around their assets and around their business processes, particularly in the asset management space, um, and enable, enable them to combine that with data in order to make decisions faster and in a way that can be continually improved. And so we're a pretty young company. We've been doing this stuff for a few years and uh, electricity, utilities, water utilities, and infrastructure are the, the kind of main um, verticals that we're targeting at the moment. So it's a, it's, it's an amazing journey. I'm learning heaps and I'm enjoying it, which, you know, that's all, all you can ask for. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And your, for your background in the past, you were a reliability engineer with quite a few different organizations, correct? Yeah. So I started out in mining, um, did that for a few years, mainly in process control, and then kind of made the transition into reliability and asset management through um, the reporting that a lot of the process control um, systems are, are used for. So like, you know, run times of equipment, um, you know, any any sort of RCA any, any RCA stuff that's being done, you typically go back to like the historian logs of process control and you can see when things tripped and what the flow rates were and all the conditions at a certain point in time. And so, yeah, kind of came out of that space and um, fell in love with reliability because it was a good merging of, um, you know, the business side and the, and the strategic side as, as well as like finance and all of that kind of stuff with basic engineering principles and and that's where I've stayed pretty much ever since. All right. Excellent. So what I was hoping to chat about today is there's a, there's a challenge a lot of organizations face, and that's really trying to determine, is the cost really worth the benefit of doing inspections? And how do we optimize that where we're not overloading in cost because we're inspecting every single week, but still getting the benefits of preventing, you know, asset downtime, asset failures, production upsets, all those great things. So, I guess to kind of start off, you know, is that a concern or challenge people should be worrying about? Um, I think it's the way I approach it is is I come at it from like a a ground zero approach. Um, like I I look at all the different tasks, whether it's 
an inspection task or, you know, and I'll, I'll lump condition monitoring type stuff in with inspections because they're typically tasks that don't affect the asset in some way. They just like gather information about um, its condition pretty much. So um, whether it's those type of tasks or other interventions like, you know, replacements, refurbishments or anything else, um, what you what I typically do is build them up from from nothing and see if they're value adding. Um, so it's almost like the default state for a system is run to fail. And then any task that you do on that, again, whether it's condition monitoring or, or an intervention or a corrective task, um, should be value adding in some way. And you've got to figure out how am I going to work out how much value this task adds, if at all. And that's dependent on like obviously the frequency that which you do it on. It's it's dependent on a whole bunch of different like operational and environmental factors like timing, um, detection probability, and it, it sort of goes into that like PF PF space a little bit. Um, but there's a, yeah, there's a whole range of factors. But essentially, any task, in my opinion, is worth doing if it's value add. But you need to prove that it's value add before adding it to your maintenance plan or like that's what I'm kind of against just taking um, a whole bunch of default tasks from somewhere else or, you know, an OEM manual or something like that and just chucking them into a system. You, you have to go through and say, is each one adding value to my business? So, yep. yeah. Yeah. You can't just have default tasks out of a, off of a FMEA you got from a buddy at another organization uses that up an asset completely differently. Right. Yeah. Because there's all those operational, the operational context is completely different. So how it operates, the factors that influence how it degrades, those are all things that you can't just copy and paste. Yeah, like the, the I don't like to use this word, but the, the criticality or, or, or like consequences of it failing um, are going to be different. Yeah, so the other thing is like it, it also ties in quite a bit with business maturity. Um, I mean, you've got to have the capability to be able to, analyze it to this point to figure it out and if you don't you know that there's there's probably nothing too wrong with just copying pasting existing strategies from somewhere else I, I mean most of the time if there's a bit of rigor behind that it's it's it may be better than nothing but it's not really doing your due diligence um and uh, and yeah you, you kind of just accepting the status quo, accepting someone else's work and blindly trusting it. So, um, and, and again, that's a business maturity thing, I think. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's a starting point if you're copying from someone, but you might be over inspecting something or under inspecting something. Um, long-term, you got to optimize that to suit your needs. And I think that's to your point of business maturity. Now, you mentioned the probability of finding the defect. How do we go about figuring that part out? Because are we just doing a general rule of thumb? You know, every six inspections, I should find something. If it's like a condition monitoring task, or are we looking for a ratio of how much time I spend on inspections versus correctives that come out of it? How do we kind of right size that? Yeah. So there's there's two elements to this. One is um, the the kind of PF and timing of it, right? So like the way I think about it is more of like percentages. Um, so if if we have like 
um, if we, you know, if we space inspections out or bring them closer together, usually if there's like a same sort of failure rate on the equipment, if we bring them in, we're going to find less issues. Um, but because we're inspecting them more frequently, we're still going to find the same amount of issues in total, if that makes sense. Like, because, um, they're going to fail when they're going to fail. We're just, we're picking up the same amount of failures. Um, it's just, if we're inspecting more frequently, we're finding less so it balances all out. And that's until you get kind of outside um, th- those PF windows. I, I, I really don't like using that term, but I'm, <laughs> I'm lacking a, a better one at the moment. But you, you get the idea like um, th- once you get outside that, then then you're not really um, mitigating many failures at all. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. Like I think for most tasks, the detection probability is close to 100% for things that are really obvious, like, um, um, you know, is there corrosion on this piece of equipment? And you can, you can usually tell yes or no, like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't take too much training. Um, but once you sort of go into the condition monitoring space and there's all these crazy technologies like vibra- like VA and thermography and, you know, things like that, that sort of distance the operator from um, the, the underlying failures and stuff and there's this sort of technology element in the middle that needs interpretation or, um, you know, needs someone to look at the, the frequency spectrum and say, yes, there's a bearing defect here and this is what the issue is. Then, then it starts to get a bit trickier with um, how accurate they're going to be and how likely they are to detect different types of failures. And so it, it's kind of like a something that you ballpark in my opinion i think you know i'll find 80% of them and then if some sl- start slipping through the cracks you can adjust um a- a- adjust those numbers um and a- again th- this is like a function of how it's operated and the environment that it's in as well um so for example if yeah, if something's corroding really fast and you've, you've got your, your fixed intervals too far spread, then you're going to get some like issues in between those gaps and stuff. And so it will look like your detection probability is, is a lot lower than it is, but um, it's just because of the timing element that, that's making it look bad. So there's a few factors going on there and, and um, my advice would be to just pick a, pick a point and improve on it. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's critical when we start looking at that is understanding how that failure occurred in between our inspection windows and how we didn't catch warning of it. For example, if we're monitoring with vibration and we're looking for, you know, any indication of misalignment or imbalance or anything like that, we're not seeing that, but all of a sudden these bearings fail. Was it a result or was it something we were monitoring against or did something unexpected happen? Right. Being able to separate that out in the data and to understand 
you get what I'm trying to say here with, um, so for example, we're monitoring those bearings and an operator runs them dry. They didn't lube them. They run them dry. That's something different than we would be monitoring for. So being able to separate those failure points out, I think is critical because that could skew your probability levels as well. Yeah. And, and some of those type of events, they, um, they're hard to pick up from data because it you, you just see that it's failed. Um, and it's only when they like do a subsequent RCA or you know some other work off the back of it that they find out that, oh, no, it wasn't lubed properly and therefore this failure shouldn't belong in the same data set. Um, and people tend to use things like work order history and that to, to formulate like the inspection intervals and things and it's just not contained in that same data set. So like this is why I think... Um, that we can't, we, we're, we've gone from being very SME reliant to now there's like this massive swing in the other direction where people are just wanting to do like data analysis. You know, there's like, what, what are they called? Um, like the business analysts and the like yep. machine learning guys and yeah, BI type people. And, and, and they're all like data focused. And my, my view is like you can't you can't just do data focused and you can't just do what um, the SME focused. You you need to be able to combine the two, and and use you know your engineering principles, your reliability engineering principles and stuff, and physics and all of that kind of stuff to make sense of what you're seeing in the data and confirming or denying different like hypotheses. So. They can't, then they have to be used together in, in my eyes. Um, 100%. I took a introduction to machine learning course. And one of the things they emphasize right at the very beginning is you can't just have statisticians building these models independently. And you can't just have F SMEs without that statistical experience or training operating on their own. The only way it works is when you bring those two, two groups together because the statisticians don't understand the context and how that data is, what they're looking for, right? So you need to have those two points together. And I agree. You, you see that huge swing right now out there. And I don't think it's for the, for the good. No, that we, we need, we need, we need both. Like it, even in just like basic failure analysis that we do now, um, you need to understand the mode level detail and, and make sure that the data that you're seeing is actually making sense. Like um, we have like wear out type modes on different equipment and the data is showing us random stuff. It, like it doesn't make, doesn't make engineering sense. It doesn't make like, so something's going on there. And, um, you know, whether it's they haven't adjusted for ages, they haven't adjusted for, you know, different things in there. Like we can't, we can't query that and dig into the data and find what's wrong without the physics side, the engineering side, the, the the technical side of understanding what's going on in the real world. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, it's a challenge though because when you're trying to justify doing certain maintenance tasks or changing maintenance intervals or frequencies, you need this data set to build your business case. Yeah, my, my question to that though is why? What I think one of the learnings is that th this the, even management's getting on this bandwagon of data-driven decision-making um, and won't wants to see the you know the cost benefit and the justification in terms of data, um, but there's still a place for the the SMEs 
thinking, um, you know, standards, you know, white papers, um, the, all of that kind of stuff in, in the justification. Um, and so I would say to the, to the management that a justification that's written out in terms of like what your operators and SMEs think should happen is equally, if not more valid than a data-driven, like here's the amount of failures that we have. Um, I think moving it in, moving the frequency in by 50% is, is good because you know that that, that data is filled with issues, filled with assumptions, filled with, you know, non-adjusted parameters and stuff. And so there's, there's got to be a happy medium and I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> no, I, I agree. There is a happy medium there. It's just when you start looking at, and it goes back to when we optimize maintenance tasks, right? People always say, use the Weibull analysis. Well, most Weibull analysis, at least they're limited. They should be based on a single failure mode. It's not mixed failure modes, right? Yeah, you can get some software packages that allow you to do mixed failure modes and that, but there's true sense it's an individual failure mode. Most mm-hmm. organizations don't have the data set to, to even analyze that and determine what was a single failure mode. Yeah. Right. They don't, they can't tell you why that bearing failed for 90% of the bearing failures. They just know it failed. Yep. <laughs> and, and to add complexity on top of that, the, the condition assessment or condition monitoring techniques or inspection techniques that you use may not pick all of those failure modes up. They might only pick up a subset of those, those modes, right? So exactly. It, it, it complicates the justification. Um, but essentially how it should go to simplify it down into how do you, how do you justify an inspection, um, in my view it's what happens if you don't do the inspection which in a really basic case would be like running it to failure, let's say. Um, There might be other tasks and stuff going on, but what happens if you don't do the inspection? Um, And then you're comparing that versus the inspection case. And in the inspection case, it would be, um, okay, I'm going to do inspections at interval X. Um, When I do those, it has a certain probability of detection of these failure modes and you, you link them to the failure modes. Um, and then if it finds those failure modes, then a subsequent secondary action would happen. So like, um, you know, you would do the intervention, you would grease the bearing or you would, you know, replace a certain component or something like that. Um, and the difference is that those, those interventions that come off the back of the inspection are done in a planned way. So they're probably likely to be less cost um, and and not incur all the risk side consequences of an unplanned failure in the run to failure case. Um, and then, then you can map out from that what would happen and you're comparing those two scenarios. So the scenario of it... Um, running to fail versus the scenario where there's an inspection that's scheduled every year um, and all the mitigated failures from those. Uh, and the difference between those two scenarios or the delta between them is, is the value uh, essentially that the, um, the inspection gives. And if you multiply out the cost of the inspection times the frequency um, and the value is more, then it's value adding. So th- there's nuance in there, um, but 
in a nutshell, that's the approach that, that you would use. Yeah. And the cost is really built up from what's the labor rate? How long does it take times what frequency? Is there any consumables or supplies used? Um, you might, if it's a new technology, what's the cost of that technology over a year or two? Yeah. By each one of those frequencies, right? So you got a bunch of factors going into this. Yeah. Now, when, when you said, when you're talking about building up the benefit, you said linking to the failure mode. Mm-hmm. So to do this, should the organization have a, I don't want to say just an FMEA because there's other ways to get failure modes, right? Yeah. Should they have some sort of list of applicable failure modes for that asset before they do this? Or can they do a cost benefit analysis without a list of failure modes specific to that asset? Yeah, I, I, I mean, you can, you can give it a go. Um, the more you understand the asset and its failure modes, the more accurate your answer is going to be. Um, but there's just some technologies in certain applications that are just wildly cost beneficial. Right. So um, if you don't have failure level information, you can just do the exact same thing that I said with just estimates. Like for, forget the data, let an SME estimate, you know, how, how often it's going to fail. If we don't do it, how often it's going to fail in an unplanned way and a planned way if we do do the inspection and put some costs to it. And there's your starting justification. And um it doesn't need to go down to the, the, the crazy detail that, that we do sometimes. Like you can, you, can, you can estimate it at a high level. It's better than nothing. And it, as, as long as you've got your logic documented and the thought process is like sound, then, then no one can accuse you of like, you know, cutting corners or not doing your due diligence. Like the data you have available at the time is the data you have available at the time. Um, and as long as it's systematic in how it's done, then there's there's no issue on it. And you can say, we'll start with this, you know, next year we'll do a review or something like that and we'll add our new stuff in, improve upon our logic and maybe a decision will change. Um, but but I think too many companies procrastinate too much about about this type of stuff and and not actually do anything. So it's, in my opinion, it's kind of like this mix of it's better to make a start and be wrong and learn, then uh, I guess it's a millennial agile type thing. <laughs> like, right? like just make the mistake, let the motor fail, have a downtime, learn, improve. Yep. And as long as you keep that cycle going um, and, and innovating faster than everyone else, then you'll be fine. Yeah. I think the key though there is learn. If it does fail, learn from it. Do yeah. an RCA, figure out why the inspections didn't catch it. Was it a random failure or some other issue with the mortality? Did we install it incorrectly? Why didn't we pick that up? Right. As long as we're learning from it and put in those actions, I think we can we can handle that. It's when we have stuff fail and we don't bother to take the time to learn from it that becomes even more of a challenge. Yeah, and you just prompted another thing around like knee-jerk reactions to failures. Like you, you would have noticed when companies have fails on failures on their critical equipment their instant reaction is to just, you know, pull, push the frequencies in or make some changes to show that there's actions coming out of an RCA and that they're doing something about it to keep keep everyone happy. Um, but, you know, inbuilt into these calculations are detection probabilities and there is going to be things that slip through the cracks and you are going to see unplanned failures 
um, from time to time. And in the most optimal case um, where you're doing cost-benefit against everything, there is a trade-off between unplanned failures and, and over-maintaining things. So there will be failures that creep through. Um, but it's important to look at when you're doing this RCA um, that you're not basing it off a single data point of having a, a brand new failure today and doing a knee-jerk reaction to like fix it. It's, um, it's you know, one out of 10 might slip through in, in your scenario that you modeled out. And is that the one in 10 that you're looking at? You know, if you have two or three in a row, then it's, you know, really unlikely that that's the case. And so there is something wrong in your calculations, but don't, don't instantly write it off as like, this is a catastrophe and we need to do something straight away. So yep. it takes time to understand the failure before you react. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, I think we covered cost versus benefit of inspections and tasks. Any closing thoughts? Uh, I think it, it's summarized in just start and, and try and work something out and document it and then improve upon it over time. Like you can get crazy detailed with this stuff. Like if you take um, some of the stuff that we're doing, for example, where we have a whole range of different intervention types and inspections for a piece of equipment they're all linked to failure modes. They all have probability distributions and detection probabilities and like, you know, PF intervals and all that kind of stuff. Um, it gets to the point where you do need software to, to crunch the numbers. And even then, um, you can get probably 70 to 80% of the way there on doing like a low tech estimate. Um, the, so, so diving straight into the deep end is, is probably not recommended unless you've already got the, the basics sorted. So, yep. yeah. Start small. Start with the basics. But start. Go fast and learn. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. All right. Excellent. Dane, I want to thank you for taking the time. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, Madla, and all the great things you guys have going on over there? Uh, website is modeler.co. Um, you can message me on LinkedIn, reach out on LinkedIn. Um, always happy to chat. I'm passionate about this stuff. So, you know, you're not an inconvenience if you've got questions and you want to ask, ask things, I'm always happy to help. Um, and otherwise the email is dane at modeler.co. You can shoot me an email and we can tee up a chat. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time. I'll make sure to put links to everything that you mentioned in the show notes and appreciate it. Appreciate you, James. Thanks, mate. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.